What's up, Zambia? This is Robin Piri from soundcomposed.com. Hosted by British Council Southern African Arts, this series takes you behind the scenes on Zoom sessions. Zambian sound pros meet David Asselmane of DM Sound Design UK. It's actually awesome. So, uh, hi, David. Thank you very much for taking the time to come out today. And uh, uh, those who are here, let them have a few surprises tonight. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, yeah. So my name is David Aston Manning, as you know. Um, my company is called DM Sound Design. I'm a composer and sound designer, working in TV, film, theatre, radio, advertising, etc. And I teach as well music, music technology, and audio production. Um, and the facilities that you just looked at. Um, are where I teach at Luton Sixth Form College. That was a sort of whistle-stop talk, uh, as um, Robin just mentioned. It's, it's quite a large facility. And when I came to work with them a few years back now, um, they were already in a decent uh, position. However, I was able to help with the upgrade of the facilities to get it to where it is now. So it was an exciting project to work on. And as a result, um, we're getting some really good results with regard to students that come through and study music, music technology and sound design at uh, Luton Sixth Form College. So it's been great. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested in you know collaborating, sharing ideas, working with people. I've got a big passion for education, obviously, and teaching. Um, and I just wish that when I was growing up, I had people who were plugged in to the industry and uh could tell me about the wonders of sound not just music but sound full stop you know it's there's such a, a wide range of areas that you can get involved in if you have a passion for things audio uh, a lot of transferable skills and you know it's it, it great to be able to share that knowledge because i know I, I wish i had people sharing that knowledge, knowledge with me before i kind of embarked on um some studies in my adulthood um, and all of us are adults here and there's always room for learning and I think when you work in audio as well um, technology moves so fast so it's important to try and keep up to date with development working with students as well I'm always learning new things as well so, so it's, just, it's just it's great so yeah thank you for having me um, if you don't stop me or ask me certain questions I can keep on going on for ages and forever about audio. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Okay. If I get you through the um, main areas that you're involved in first, then it'll make it much easier, I guess, for sure. everyone to, to, to dive in uh, within their areas of interest. 
So uh, what's the average age of the uh, kids you're teaching at the school? So it's a sixth form college, so um, they're up to 18, between 18 years old. Tell everyone a little bit about the sort of qualifications, so the sort of like more academic side of um, where you are with sound. Okay, sure. Um, so in terms of teaching, so I teach music technology A-level, um, which is, um, you know, just pre-university, like level three course in the UK. Um, and I teach BTEC music performance as well. That's also a level three course as a vocational course. Um, I also teach adults through DM Sound Design. Um, I am, I have a course uh, in audio production ratified by the AQA, which is um, an awarding body over in the UK, allowing me to certificate learners all around the world for going through an audio production um, and sound design program um, that was developed through DM Sound Design. Uh, in terms of my own qualifications, um, I have an audio post-production, uh, postgraduate certificate from Westminster University and a master's in music technology uh, and audio production from New York University. All right. So uh, while you were at uh, Westminster, uh, New York University, I suppose, um, did you get involved with their sound build? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Absolutely, definitely. Uh, yes. Is it New York, New York University? Yeah. New York University, yes. So um, I was actually working at New York University at the time as a studio technician. And my responsibilities then were uh, installation and maintenance of the eighth floor studios in the Steinhardt building. Um, so that was a mixture of installing and maintaining SSL studios to studios that were mainly modular synth. So um, I did a lot of learning in that role. It was, it was, it was amazing. But yeah, absolutely. I, I was involved in that. Okay. And I, I thought one of the greatest stories is is your graduation, actually, because <laughs> you found yourself graduating on the same day as uh, someone, I guess, you know, we, we'll all be familiar with. Uh, yeah, J Justin Trudeau, he's the um, uh, Canadian uh, president, prime minister. Um, yeah, he, he graduated at the same time, so my graduation ceremony was kind of hijacked by by um, his presence. But no, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, it was in Madison Square Garden. Uh, no, sorry, it's the Yankee Stadium, uh, New York Yankee Stadium. Um, and yeah, it was it was a large affair. It was a large occasion, um, and it was just a culmination of lots of hard work. So I was back and forwards. I was I was living in New York for a year. Then I finished my thesis of um, doing some research in the UK, and then went back to New York. Um, to get that done. So my, my thesis was on music technology and education. Again, hence being heavily involved in education while I was being a practitioner in industry as well. Okay. So I'm not going to wind it back for everyone so we can actually go through all the different parts of uh, uh, King David now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go right back to the very beginning. Where does the sound journey begin? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, the reference to King David there was a nice little segue. Um, so the journey began with uh, me as an artist. Well, I'm a musician. I play the drums. Um, but 
when people ask me, what do you play? I mean, I play a, bit, a little bit of everything, you know, um, sort of by ear, but I actually had lessons in the drums, played in church as well. But when people ask me, what do I play? I usually say the knobs and the faders because I've always been someone who's been sort of like in the background facilitating um, recordings. So, um, but at the same time, whilst producing and making beat, um, I used to rap as well. I say I used to, I still do. But um, yeah, just growing up, I went to college and met with a bunch of like-minded people and we formed a group um, called, well, we formed a, an independent record label called Strictly Business. And I was part of a group called Frontline Soldiers. And, you know, we were young and hungry. We were going up and down the country performing. Um, we were making quite a bit of noise, selling CDs ourselves. We managed to get onto national radio. We were on BBC Radio 1, opened up for the likes of The Game and Akon, who were doing bits and pieces. Um, we were making a bit of a splash in the UK and, and US and worldwide. So, you know, it was a really good experience. Um, and so being in the studio, I was just learning on the job you know, things as I, was, as I was going along. Um, but I hadn't actually had a, got, gotten a qualification. I mean, experience is the main thing. Experience is always the key. There's no substitute for getting hands-on and learning through doing um, the job, through working in sound. But I didn't have any formal qualifications. And my first qualification, in fact, as I didn't mention, in terms of music and sound, was a BTEC in music technology. And while doing that qualification, I was beginning to understand the theory behind some of the uh, practical um, things I was doing. You know, I was now understanding why it makes sense to EQ in certain ways and, you know, learning some of the math behind some of the um, processes uh, used. And it was like a, a jigsaw. Things began to, to um, fit, basically. Um, and so it was a sort of like a dual journey, one as an artist and one as an engineer. Um, and I think my my uh, biggest personal moment as an artist, strictly business, we went our own ways through um, creative differences. That's the old cliche as it goes. Um, we had a distribution deal with AMD marketing that was a subsidiary of Universal, but weren't able to fulfill the um, requirements of that during that time. So, yeah, that's, that's by the by. Um, but we, as we went our separate ways, I continued to make music and I was still working, collaborating with other artists as well. So, um, when, you know, just before going to New York, actually, I was working on an album and through some contacts, I, I got to speaking with some artists that I grew up listening to. Um, I was able to send them music and they were music and they were happy to collaborate with me as those artists include um, Master Ace um, some of you may have heard of him my, my, my passion at this time is for music um, although I make all types of music but hip hop primarily um, is my passion so um, yes I was working with Master Ace um, an artist called AG from BITC uh, digging in the Creators crew I went over to the Bronx um and then I was actually working um, in the studio with Master Ace as an engineer, like an assistant engineer. His main engineer is called Rich Ahi, and I was there as an assistant engineer um, at Shelter Island Studios. And again, just a name drop, had artists like De La Stowe and Lauren Hill coming through there. So that was in, um, uh, in, in Manhattan, in New York. So 
um, I was in esteemed company and I was kind of pinching myself that, you know, these are artists that I've been heavily influenced by um, and I'm getting to work with, with in those spaces. And I managed to get on Master Ace's album, um, released of one of his most successful albums called um, A Long Hot Summer. Um, and it's just a case of being in the right place at the right time. And the, the funny thing is, I think I'm a bit of a paradox as an artist because oh, I, I like, and I guess a lot of people might be able to relate to this, I, I prefer being in the background in, in many ways. Um, as mentioned, I, I, I make beats, I produce and facilitating recording, but I also have this skill that I was able to share and it's fun being able to jump on and collaborate with people and, and create. And as an artist, I guess that's the narcissism we create because we want people to like what we do, right? So um, there's always been that part of me and that's always there. So, you know, we're two hats as an artist and a facilitator. Um, I've continued to learn and to grow and enjoy the journey. So where would um, you say the Arise King David um, situation is now? Are you still releasing? Are you licensing? What area of music are you dealing with now? Mostly licensing, but I am actually planning a release um, within the next year. I've been working on on tracks and, and it's, again, just to, to sort of like a signpost journey, a lot of the music that I'm putting together right now for release, I'm collaborating with students that have come through my program. Um, so that's been, that's been really fun, actually. And it's, like I said, it's great to work with, with, with different people rather than just being by yourself in an echo chamber thinking everything you drop is hot or constantly admonishing yourself because you feel like you're a perfectionist but when you get to collaborate with other people then you're you're getting other people's viewpoints and you know your creativity can go in a different direction so that's been um a lot of fun and it's also giving um the opportunity for, for some of my students to actually get something released um so that's where I am with the Rise King David at the moment. I am about to release something in about in, in, in next year, dropping. But I'm licensing mostly. I'm licensing mostly under my my um, government name, David Astamani, and artist another artist named Numo as well. So I'm licensing mainly for uh, film and TV and advertising. Okay, uh, we actually had a licensing session, David. Uh, not uh, I think it was like a few days ago. In fact, I'd spoken yeah. to you um, that day because. Uh, 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 Paleface was going to come up and do it, uh, but we had a bit of a clash yeah. of schedules with his kid. So uh, I, I figured that would have been a good one for them. So we'll, we'll, uh, I'll hook, yeah, I'll, I'll hook it up at a different time for Zambia. But um, as far as licensing is concerned, um, on your part, uh, do you want to tell them how you got into it? And can I just uh, state for the record that one of the biggest problems Zambia has faced uh, has to do with the actual sound rights? So, brief background for you. Um, since independence, it's never actually worked. Let me let me put it that simply. Mm. So um, the producers have been extremely impacted. They've never actually utilized licensing as a, a, a revenue stream. Mm. Okay. All right. So 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 a lot of it might be quite uh, new in terms of realizing that um, IP generates uh, revenue that way. Yeah. It's not really utilized that way in Zambia. Yeah. So so I'm wondering what, what are the um what are, are there collections agencies in Zambia on the ground? Uh, th there, there is uh, one. Uh, yeah. the, the key thing is from independence in 64 up until 94, 
there was nothing. So 30 years right. um, yeah. where foreign rights were collected, but not yeah. uh, the local rights. Mm. And then I guess we're on 28 years since that 94. And uh, the sole collection agency has sort of, um, the simple way to put it is picked bits and pieces of um, what is collected. As a result of it, they've never actually experienced um, live performance collection. Mm. And uh, what would actually literally happen with licensing is just is just pretty much non-existent. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, which is a crying shame because there is, uh, you know, it's, it's a revenue stream. And it's something that needs to be enshrined in law and implemented at a, you know, at a government level um, in order for it to work. Everyone has to be on the same page in that um, work cannot be uh, exposed, or synchronized or performed without first agreeing um, that license fees and royalties will be paid to the artist. Um, and it needs agencies to work in in tandem and in, in, in communication with each other, you know, in order for it to actually work. Um, on a local level, as well as an international level. So we have some well, the main ones in the UK, PRS, PPL, MCPS, they all work together. And when dealing with international collections, they are then partnering with, say, for example, ASCAP in, in the US, which is another collections agency. So in in Africa as a whole, um, I know struggles with IP. Um, most money comes from either direct um, payment from promoters, or production houses for music, whatever it might be, whatever form of art that is, and then possibly kickbacks from sponsorship and advertising, uh, but no perpetual income. Um, and it's 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 something that needs to improve. Like as I mentioned, on on a sort of like a, a, a government-wide scale, it has to be enshrined in law. Otherwise, I'm not sure how it can work. It seems like a, a rogue um, sort of market. So yeah, yeah. it's um, the difficulty is uh, what uh, so that I can put it in the context for you. Mm-hmm. It's like the smashed PRS, PPL, and MCPS into one, mm-hmm. and then decided yeah. P- PPL doesn't function. That's mm-hmm. essentially what's going on. Mm-hmm. And right. as a result of PPL not functioning, <laughs> where the sound rights are. It's completely yes. destroyed the entire ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I guess, I guess the, the question has to be then, or, or the challenge is, who then is responsible for holding um, agencies to account? Do we then, um, or do you, artists on the ground, band together to form some form of... Uh, you know, basically to, to get the ball rolling and to, to make the noise that needs to be made um, to speak with the collections agency that already exists and say, hey, look, this isn't working. We need proper representation and to approach um, the lawmakers to get to get it enshrined, to lobby and, and to get policy in place to make sure that artists are protected. Um, 
I, I realized I've kind of digressed because that wasn't the question you asked me originally. You asked me in sort of like how licensing started uh, or how I started working in, in terms of licensing. But um, well, I, when you provided the context, that made yeah. me, you know. No, 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 it's fair enough. It's, it's quite shocking. I think uh, when I speak to people in the UK about it, they're, they're, they're pretty much shocked, mm. which is why um, prior to going in for the research, I had a long chat with PPL. Uh, yeah, yeah. About it, and, yeah. and and therefore I'm trying to advise uh, the locals now to say uh, yeah. a trans a transition is going to have to happen between your current system Absolutely. and yeah. Uh, yeah. how you how it's really supposed to work. And yeah. in the meantime, uh, PPL says it will take in the international, so they okay. put, put a lookout for Zambia, and they're going to take care of yeah. it. Yeah, and it will be driven by the artists. It will be driven by the creators themselves. Yes, it, it has to be. Um, make it happen. Yeah, uh, uh, getting people to understand that on the ground has been uh, part of the challenge. Because bear yeah. in mind, if it's not uh, in existence, then it's hard to tell people that actually uh, you're, you're on the wrong platforms right now. So in other words, yeah. most of them are yeah. streaming. And um, right. uh, the last thing they want to hear come out of my mouth is uh, that streaming is uh, currently considered to be a human rights abuse. So. It's not where you're going to generate your income from. So, um, yeah, so placing lights, mm, it, it's not seen that way at the moment. Uh, they're, they're literally mm. jumping uh, headfirst uh, yeah. with it. Yeah. So it's it's um, one of the things that uh, I know it will change quite rapidly because um, yeah. within the next 12 months, what's about to happen will, um, you know, whether they you know want to see it or not, it's, it's, it's about to happen. But um, yeah. in order to yeah. help people on the ground, um, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to go back to the basics to just say that, look, sure. your entire revenue system of um, uh, the, the entire music industry is based on that first <laughs> copyright. Yes. Uh, yes, and no exactly. nothing else functions unless you're Thanks actually dealing with the first copyright. And that's literally where we're, we're having to go back to at the moment. There, there are, yeah. there are, there are cases though, David. People have uh, gone outside the country in order to function, and there are artists okay. who are doing quite well, uh, but they're yeah, supported sure. by external systems. Uh, and sure. I, I guess the importance is trying to get people to understand that intellectual property has to work for all. It can't just work for yeah. some or a few or lucky, you know. Uh, it, it literally yeah. is something that everyone uh, can utilize and uh, can create it and can benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. Zambia, being built, getting our education, getting our education. Zambia, 